Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Gentleman from Pennsylvania reserves the balance of time. Gentleman from California is recognized. Could I inquire as to the balance of my time? Gentleman from California has two and a half minutes remaining. Uh, yield two minutes from the other gentleman from California, Mr. McClintock. The gentleman from California is recognized for two minutes. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. I do not support the war on coal that's waged by this administration and my friends on the left, but I do support the war on waste, and I support this amendment based upon that fiscal imperative. Now, we're told our defense budget is so stretched that we now have to scavenge museums for aircraft parts. Yet there appears to be plenty of money to squander in a corrupt earmark that dates back to 1961. As has been pointed out, that earmark requires that one American Air Force base in Kaiserslautern, Germany, has to purchase 9,000 tons of coal a year at a grossly inflated price, plus the cost of transporting this overpriced coal uh, across the Atlantic Ocean and halfway across the European continent. The latest excuse we just heard is, that, well, otherwise we'd have to buy coal from Russia. Well, why in the world would we want to do that? One company in Poland produces 48 million tons of coal from 23 mines. It produces more coal in an hour than this base uses in a year. And the objection seems particularly ludicrous, considering that the NDAA authorizes hundreds of millions of dollars for rocket engines purchased from Russia. The Pentagon and successive presidents have consistently protested this waste. But these protests have fallen on deaf ears in Congress, even while we're told that our defense spending has been cut to the bone. If we don't change the spending trajectory of this government, the Congressional Budget Office warns that in six years, interest on the national debt will exceed what we spent this year for our defense. That makes rooting out waste like this a national defense imperative. And I yield back. From California, yields back the balance of his time, gentlemen. From, uh, asking you to support this, we need to get a juggernaut now in the September session to get this bill passed, to get it through the financial services, which has been largely bought out by the financial sector. We have this real quick. We had a, a, a resolution at the National Conference of State Legislators in Georgia. Yesterday, it was heard by the Financial Committee. Thirty bank lobbyists targeted a Delaware Republican state senator to withdraw that resolution because they're so panicked that we're going to bankrupt these criminals, throw them out of the country, and put some of them in jail. So will you sign on to Glass-Steagall, and what's your stance on Wall Street uh, criminal practices? Well, if, first of all, for a criminal practice, there has to be a gun. Uh, uh, it's, it's pretty simple. You, you, can, you, can, you can get somebody to do just about anything with a gun. Uh, if somebody took out a bad loan, they lived with the result of that and went away sadder but wiser. Uh, I think that that is a far, far better system than the one we have now, where a, you know, those with political connections get bailed out from their bad decisions. Now look, we all make bad financial decisions in our lives. I happen to be living in one at the moment. But those bad decisions that we make are the price we pay for the freedom to make all of the good decisions in our lives. And I want to know if you can commit to holding at least one meeting one town hall every quarter. A packed town hall hosted by Congressman Tom McClintock as residents voiced their political concerns in Sonora tonight. Congressman McClintock fielded questions about everything from immigration to the Affordable Care Act. CBS 13's Drew Balea is live in Sonora with more on tonight's turnout and the tone. Drew? The noise began from the beginning. 
people passionate about national, state, and local issues made their voices heard. And there were a few people in there that were very aggressive and um, frustrated. I, I think people need to exchange ideas, and uh, I, I think it's great that people pour out to do this. Supporters and opponents of Tom McClintock came to ask and listen. I felt Congressman McClintock didn't answer a lot of questions. He kind of tap danced around them. An organized group from within McClintock's district passed out signs opposing the congressman, while his supporters crowded the front with signs saying respect. I was raised in a home where we respect people, regardless of your opinion of what they're saying or not. There were many outbursts during the more than two and a half hours McClintock took questions. He was questioned on his support of fracking. Uh, I think that that has been one of the greatest boons to the American economy. The American economy. He shuffled around specific immigration questions, holding strong that current laws should be enforced. And he repeatedly defended the president on a range of issues, from tax returns to Russian ties. I would have to hear a more disturbing allegation than that in order to justify support for an investigation. He also stood strong on his opposition to the idea of making California a sanctuary state. Any jurisdiction. That refuses to enforce federal law should not be receiving federal law enforcement. Well, that was quite a turnout. McClintock has done several town halls. He went for about two hours and 45 minutes. McClintock is expected to do more town hall events. They have not yet been scheduled. <laughs> So today we're here with Robert Lawton, who is running in California District 4 as a progressive. Welcome, Robert. Thank you. You are running in a traditionally conservative district, CD4. It's a rural area that includes Tahoe, parts of Yosemite, Truckee, all that mountainous area there. And I would imagine that environmental issues would be a big, um, a big problem in your area and a big issue to discuss. So your current congressperson, which is Tom McClintock, is very pro-logging industry. He's not very pro-environmental issues. I got you. So I'm sorry. I um, first of all, is this? Uh, I'm going to really endeavor to to not uh, use foul language, but in case I I foul oh, up, is that a problem? It's okay. Okay, cool. No, our, I'll our try podcast that. has already been marked explicit by Apple, so understood. <laughs> no going Good back. So. And if you don't mind, I um I'm just gonna sort of be really freewheeling here. I I, I yeah, uh, is that cool? All right, so yeah. it's a valid question. Um, I mean, uh, the short answer to that question in particular is it's he's a Tea Party guy. He doesn't believe in climate science, all that kind of stuff. He's a horrible guy, right? Mm -hmm. Um. And uh, he's been in office for mm, this is nine years. Uh, he's going on ten years. And um, the knock against Tom is, in addition to all the obvious stuff, is um, he's a carpetbagger. He doesn't live in the district. He's never lived in the district. He has done in the, in the nine years he's been in office. He's named two post offices, I think, and gave some land to like you know Native Americans for a casino or something. Um, so. With respect to your question in particular, he's he's horrible on the environment. He doesn't believe in climate science and all the rest of it. I mean, you go to my website, Lawton for Congress, you'll see where Tom stands on all of these issues, including environmental mm -hmm. stuff, um, and you'll see where I stand on the issues. So it's pretty, you know, in terms of that's the short answer to your question, period. Didn't you tweet out congratulations to Trump after Trump pulled out of the uh, Paris climate agreement? Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah. it's like. Anything you can imagine, like he's the guy. So, uh, frankly, um, 
it's really, uh, as I see it, that's not really the issue. Um, the issue, as I okay. see it here, is um, you can almost throw a dart at one, any of Tom's opponents in this primary. The primary is in, you know, 10 days or so. Um, and so Tom's bad, and there are a bunch of people going up against him. Um, so it's like if you if you like Trump, vote for McClintock, right? But but what I'm more interested in is, you know, the other four uh, right. Democrats who are opposing him, and what's the difference between us and all that kind of stuff. And I just came into this thing, you know, two and a half months ago, um, and and I don't know how much you know about my background and so on with respect to my positions and and. You know, Tom, if you if you are listening to this podcast, I I have a feeling that pretty much nobody who likes Tom McClintock listens to your podcast. Would you? Is that fair? (laughs) That's fair. Okay, so yeah, it's like if you're listening to this podcast, (laughs) chances are you know Tom McClintock. You want him out, and the only question we want him out. Yeah, who's going to replace him, or who's going to go up against him in general? Absolutely. You know, interestingly enough, you you folks inherited him from us. He was down here in Southern California. He's from, I believe, Thousand Oaks, is he not? Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah, he was uh, yeah. in Venture or something. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say your main opponent on June 5th in the June 5th primary is Jessica Morris. Uh, I want to talk with her about her in a second. This is somebody who has uh, received the Caldem endorsement. Correct. But I think the more more important issue with Jessica, for my opinion, is that she is from outside of the district, and we've seen we've seen the DCCC do this a few times in a few races where they brought somebody into the district to run against um, folks that are there. So Jessica comes from Colorado. She works for the Colorado Democratic Party. She worked uh, as a field organizer for Hillary Clinton's campaign. So here's somebody that is. On one hand, she's calling Tom McClintock a carpetbagger, and he is. But how is she not also a carpetbagger? Yeah, it's a valid question. Um, to me, like that's 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 not, not the half of it. And um, okay. so, um, and by the way, just to just to be clear, yeah, you're right. She did work for the Hillary campaign for three months. Okay, in Colorado, she's not from Colorado. She's originally from California. Um, but, mm-hmm. and I could talk about her for hours, but just to sort of be <laughs> concise about it, here, here's my perspective on her. And, and, and getting back to your original question, you know, the, the DCCC, or in this case, the Cal Dems, she's, she's the establishment party. The, the, the Democratic establishment mm-hmm. have, have definitely taken her under her wing. And to me, that's why I got into this race, because I saw what happened, um, when they voted in San Diego, the California Dems at the end of February. And I said, this is crazy, like, because it's a mirror image, as I see it, of what happened in 2016, wherein the DNC, uh, or in this case, the, the California Democratic Party, the, the, the Democratic mm-hmm. establishment put their right. elbow on the scale to try to propel this. Yeah, like they're jumped up and down on it to try it's to. It's much bigger than the thumb, isn't it? It is. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know. I mean, so I would say it, uh, what happened, what, uh, you know, the DNC did with Hillary was a lot bigger than a thumb. <laughs> it's like a dump truck putting it on the scale. Like, so, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, so, so like they, they have chosen her as the anointed candidate that they're going to push through. And, um, and she's again to, to parallel what happened in the 2016, uh, primary in general, she's going to lose as I see it. And yeah. it's like, that's really my, 
I, I never even dreamed of getting into this race, right? But I want Tom McClintock gone, okay? That's the end game as I see it, just as a constituent. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what's going to probably happen is, uh, and it's going to probably happen whether, I, you know, it's, it seems like I have not made the big a difference at all. But, um, but what seems like it's probably going to happen today, just as I thought was going to happen two months ago when I decided to get into this thing was, She's going to be on the general. You know, there's a top two primary system here. Um, it's There's no question McClintock's going to be one. The only question is who's going to be two. And I really don't see that as much of a question. It's going to be her. And as I see it, she's going to get destroyed in the general. Yeah. For among the what you mentioned, for a, many more reasons. And the bottom line is she's a very, very deeply flawed, weak candidate for some of the reasons you described and much, much more, which I would love to talk about. And it's just, it's just, yeah. it sucks. Sure. So, Let's talk about it. So one of go. the things I noticed I want to bring up, I went to her website and I looked at some of her policy positions and she's using a lot of the, these vague terms, which tell me that she's part of the corporate establishment and not really for progressive ideals. One of the things that she discusses is that she supports um, access to, access to uh, medical care or the most the most she pushes is universal primary care, which means to me that she does not support a standard style Medicare for all. This is um, somebody that's still going to placate to insurance company, to profiteering, and some of the the main problems that we have in our healthcare system. So um, I know you support Medicare for all. Is do you think in your particular district? Um, because I've been seeing lately that even Republican voters are coming out and saying, yeah, maybe Medicare for all is the answer. I don't think. I don't think it's this unattainable uh, pie-in-the-sky idea. I think it's something that the corporatists want, whether it's in the Republican or Democrat Party, but I think the voters are clearly coming around to this idea that that's the way to go. Um, have you noticed a, a change in perception, and do you see this as a losing position that she has and the strength that you have? Um, uh, to the A, no, I have not seen any cha- I have not noticed any change in perception. Uh, By that, I mean, I I think all throughout, I don't think there's been any change. I think the vast majority of the people, not necessarily the voters in this district, um, are absolutely in favor of Medicare for all. If they really understood what it was, because by the the vast majority, this is there's a lot of rural uh, areas in this district. And I, I don't know what the number is, but many, many people in this in this district are on Medi-Cal, you know, which is, oh, there you go. Okay. Oh yeah, for sure. And if they, the Mm -hmm. short answer is absolutely, but I don't think that's a change. I think that's, that's happened throughout. And does that distinguish me from her? Of course it does. I I just, you know, the short answer is yes. Uh, Medicare for all is a slam dunk idea. And the people in this district absolutely would prefer that over alternatives such as mm-hmm. talk or what she's proposing and so on yeah absolutely but it's not okay new. what are some it's not new yeah well you know in some areas it's been something that's accepted as a good idea just because it eliminates the profiteering but you know we've always had that sort of semantic pushback that it's socialized medicine and the insurance industry and the pharma companies and the big industry behind this have always used these words and push the propaganda in a certain way where it's been very effective. But of I'm course. starting to see, yeah, and I'm starting to see even Republican voters realize that that's the case, and they're coming around to this idea, why are we the only country that doesn't have this? What are we doing? 
Yeah, I mean, I just think it's as simple, frankly, as this. You know, they Fox News, which everybody in this district, most people watch, sell yeah. the idea that <laughs> that Medicare for all socialism is a bad thing. But yeah. the reality is when they, you know, turn the TV off and go and they, you know, have to go to the doctor. Right. It, yeah, they absolutely will be for it, without a doubt. I'm yeah, glad to hear. I, I, I think so. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad to hear you're you're um, you're noticing that people, even Republicans, are are starting to wake up to that. I don't. Yeah, they are waking up, which good. is a good thing for us. So what are some of the other differences that you have with uh, Jessica Moore? Well, so let, let's let's sort of like let me just back up and. Uh, sure. And, yeah, I, I just I'm going to be really unvarnished and candid here while at the same okay. time, I sort of want to couch everything carefully because you know, I, I need to be very clear up front. Let me just make a blanket statement. Um, this is all my opinion uh, mm -hmm. based on uh, based on the evidence that I've seen. Um, and again, if anybody goes to my website who's interested in um, Jessica Morris, um, there are a bunch of videos I made, made a bunch of videos about her and, and, and pointed to facts and statements and, you know, and uh, and. I just think she's a total liar. I mean, I really do. It's like, yeah. I, I think, and that's, it's, it's alarming. Um, in no particular order, um, she has claimed that she was almost kidnapped by ISIS, right? Yeah, I saw that. Claimed that she solved a murder. Um, and she has done a bunch. I'm not kidding. Like, it's bizarre to me. And it's bizarre. And, it's it's yeah, and she's done a bunch of other things. She's changed the the start date on her campaign four different times. She um she used to at best insinuate that she was you know in the military, but she's been very careful now to 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 um to be to say that she was a civilian when she was over there. She's claimed mm. I think it still says on her Facebook page, on her Facebook uh, thing. I still, I think it still says she managed the $25 billion Iraq uh, budget, um, mm. the State Department. Wow. Yeah, okay. I mean, stuff like that. Here's, here's another fact about her, um, and this has nothing to do with the, you know, the veracity of her statements, but it's just um, she is, as, as I understand it, currently, um, or at least up until quite recently, a Christian scientist, okay? Mm. Now, I take no issue with, you know, they, they're going to sort of frame that as, well, you know, he's bashing my religion, and I don't care what, what your religion is until or unless you want to represent me and my health care interests in Congress. Mm -hmm. And mm. I don't know this, Tina, but Christian scientists right. believe that, you know, cancer can be prayed away. You can pray that's away. Right. So, like, that's a problem for me. Um, there's a bunch more stuff. And she um, she is, as I understand it, she, you know, you mentioned the fact that she worked for the Hillary campaign in, in uh, Colorado. And as I clarified, she worked for the Hillary campaign for a total of about three months, 90 days. Mm -hmm. um, and she was, as I understand it, she has been a registered Republican her entire life. Mm. And which she was working for. I did the not know that. Okay. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if, if that's correct, but I do know this. I can tell you that this is a fact. Um, she was working for the Hillary campaign from about August till about you know till the election. 
Um, so let's call it, yeah, August, September, October. Yeah, from August till November 2016 um, while living in Colorado. And she registered to vote in that area in Colorado where she was working for the Hillary campaign for uh, on, Oct- on or about October 12th, 2016, while working for the Clinton campaign. Did she register to vote as a Democrat? No. No, she didn't. She registered as a no-party preference while working okay. for the Clinton campaign, which is a, a very odd choice, as I see it. Yeah. Uh, and then odd. so... So then, and she's still currently registered to vote there, um, which is, there's nothing illegal about that, but it's, it's curious that she wouldn't register as a Democrat while working for Hillary. Um, but, um, but she, um, she then moved to California, as you pointed out. She has, uh, she moved to this district for the first time, as I understand it, in 2017. Um, and she did not, uh, and she, at some point, registered to vote in this district for the first time, by the way, in this district. She's, mm-hmm. she's never lived in this district until 2017. And she registered, as I understand it, for the first time in her life as a Democrat in 2017, which is hmm. odd. Yeah. Is her family from the district? What is her connection nope. to the district? Does she make any claims about that? Here's how she's certainly made a variety of claims, including the fact that she has lived in this district and her family has lived in this district for four or five generations. She used to say that all the time. And, and I, this is false. This is it's demonstrably false. And she's stopped wow. saying that. Oh, yeah. She stopped saying that. Um, okay. And she, now she says she's a fifth generation Californian, Northern California. But I, it's again, it's all all the evidence is up there in these videos that I made. She, hmm. she put it on her LinkedIn. She put, it, but yeah, that's another one of many examples of her sort of fudging the truth. Um, yeah. Have you been able to get a response from her on any of these things? Has there been any debates or anything of that nature? No, she's she's. Uh, it's you know. I, I had this sort of illusion that I got if I got into this thing and pointed out all this stuff, people would yeah. kind of care and it would make a difference. And unfortunately, it's not. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised. Hmm. But short answer to your question is no. She she's refused to debate. Forget me. She's refused to debate anybody. And the the sort of hmm. party line is yeah, she's the front runner. Why would she debate? She doesn't need to debate. You know, it just it just legitimizes all the other candidates and that kind of stuff. She doesn't need to. But yeah. the fact is. She hasn't. I've been to one event that she was at um, and she breezed in. It was this gun control thing, the march for, you know, the the kids, the student led uh, Mm -hmm. gun control. And she, uh, you know, all the candidates were there. Uh, All the candidates were invited except for Tom, who didn't show up. There was an empty chair there. Um, (laughs) And we answered, you know, these questions from the kid, from the audience, from the, the, the moderators and so on. Except for Jessica, who breezed in, you know, for five minutes, gave a canned speech and left. So she's mm. my sense is she's she doesn't. Uh, and, and so the point is, forget me. But, you know, what's going to happen on June 6th if it's her against Tom McClintock and he has six months to destroy her? Um, and, you know, right. as I've said to people, I got a lot of shit about this when I first entered the race. People said, oh, you're a spoiler. You're a. You're just trying to divide the party. And I said Mm. to people, listen, you know, as I understand things, the the very purpose of a primary is to for us Democrats, for us opponents to Tom 
to find out who is the strongest candidate to take him on. Absolutely. Yeah. You should thank me for pointing this out because if you don't like what I'm saying about her, what do you think he's going to say about her uh, leading up to the general? Off. Yeah. Right. So it's mm. just, it's, it's, but at the end of the day, frankly, it doesn't make a difference. Like nobody cares, really. It really, yeah. That's sort of the depressing thing to hear. People, uh, you know, I'm a big believer that politicians work for us. We don't work for them. So for some reason, it's been ingrained in our culture the last um, few decades that candidates are owed our vote or this idea of, of vote splitting or spoilers. I don't buy into that stuff. If sure. somebody didn't earn your vote, you do not owe them your vote. It's really that straightforward. So I... Um, I, I think that people should not be berated or vote shamed for a running in a primary. I mean, my God, this is a democracy or B voting for a third party candidate. If that's who they prefer, this is, you know, this is what a healthy democracy is. You know, I hear you. And, uh, you know, I, um, I, you know, for me, it's like the, 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 I'm not surprised by this kind of stuff really, because I saw all this kind of stuff happen. Um, in 2016. Mm -hmm. And that's the, the very reason I got into this thing. But what did surprise mm -hmm. me was a bunch of other stuff. Like I lost a lot of friends and so on uh, in 2016 because I hated Hillary. I hate her. Yeah, and I don't like her. <laughs> I mean, I absolutely abhor her. I think she's awful. Yeah. And she's not um, progressive. Not far from it. Right. But yeah. But the, and so the issue that I have is like, is okay so so the lines are drawn really it's the bigger picture that really kind of bothers me more than anything else is at least the republicans at least the right you got to give them credit for one thing and that is there are fringes and so on but they sort of stick together in their you know fascist ideology whereas <laughs> it's really I, I don't really see it as yeah. The right and the left. It's not really the right and the left. It's the right, the center, and the left. And the center yeah. are the establishment Dems and Nancy Pelosi and even people yeah. like I think if you talk to the average left, you know, Democrat, liberal, whatever you want to call them, they say I talked to a, I talked to a really smart lawyer uh, in in uh, Silicon Valley recently, and he was telling me about how much he likes Kamala Harris. And I was sure. like, dude, I know, but like most people, and he considers himself, <laughs> and he really is, he's a, he's a liberal left guy. And I'm like, dude, like you, you have no idea what you're talking about. You know, she voted. Yeah, they don't the, know. They don't know. And that makes me crazy. And, and that's the kind of stuff that really, really sort of chaps my ass, frankly. Oh, I, I'm with you. I think a lot of folks are unclear of the, you know, oftentimes actually, in, in regards to Kamala Harris, when I start bringing attention to some of the choices that she made as attorney general, they start to change their opinion. And the response is generally, I did not know this. So, you know, part of the problem is our uh, mainstream media sources like MSNBC, et cetera, they're corporate owned media. And they are very, very um, clear about not wanting to support too, too many causes of too progressive. I mean, we recently saw the Ed Schultz uh, his candor coming out talking about how Phil Griffin wouldn't let him cover Bernie Sanders' um, announcement. I, you know, that was a stunning expose. That I don't know if you heard this, but that was I sure did. I here. saw I saw him say it. Yeah, it's 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 yeah. um it's it should. You know what, Tina? You just said something really interesting, and I agree with you. It is stunning, but 
it it's um it's people like like nobody kind of, it's like honestly i don't um i don't know how you and me and others sort of keep pushing this kind of stuff because mm -hmm. it is so infuriating to me and the people on our side like i get trump's side i get that and i'm not trying to yeah. you know, i have no illusions about changing their minds but it's it's our side that it's like, mm -hmm. for example, and, you know, you, you just look at New York with Cynthia Nixon versus Cuomo, you know, and. Yeah. Yeah. And so like even Kirsten Gillibrand, who's like this, you know, the, the beacon for the left, she she threw her arms around Cuomo. You know what I mean? And oh, she, yeah, no, she I can't. For Nikki Haley and, <laughs> but it's like you say that to, to people on our side and it's just like I can't even do it anymore. That's what really bothers me. You know, it bothers me, too. It, in fact, it's the reason I started this podcast. I couldn't couldn't stand it anymore. You know, and now, you know, I just want to look at Hillary Clinton and say, so um, are you trying to impress a boy or did you reserve your special place in hell? I mean, where yeah. did she get off turning around? And, you know, women like me that endorsed Bernie or supported Bernie Sanders, we were called all kinds of things. There's a special place in hell for you for not supporting that. You, you can go down the list. Now she turns around and instead of standing behind Cynthia Nixon, who is an amazingly intelligent candidate, who is running a great campaign, has a really good grasp of the issues, is very strong, she's going to side with the guy that might as well be a Republican. You know, now more than ever, we need leaders who will stand up for progressive values and stand up to those who try to turn neighbor against neighbor and sow seeds of division. Most of all, we need leaders who believe in producing results and getting things done. Leaders like Andrew Cuomo. And it's stunning to me. Yeah, it's not that stunning to me anymore. Um, what's, you know, yeah, it's, it's, I'm not stunned by it anymore, honestly. Um, <laughs> I'm getting to the point just, where I'm not, but. <laughs> I'm more like demoralized by it, you know what I mean? So Demoralized, I, yeah. I think the, 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 I think the average person. I think it's, I think of it this way, like um, I hate Hillary. Right. But I still voted for mm -hmm. her in the general because. Right. Because, of course, she'd be infinitely better than than Trump. Right. I think Trump. that's kind of the perception that people uh, are just like, OK, you know what? So I don't like Hillary either. I don't like uh, Cuomo either, but he's better than that's a bad example. But but like in my race, um, I think people will say, OK, you know what? Uh, uh, and I'm saying it, too. I can't stand Jessica Morris. I think she's horrible. But I was talking to somebody about this the other day who also can't stand Jessica Morris. And at the end of the day, on November 6th, you know, what's is she worse than Tom McClintock? She's not. And that really sucks that that's the choice that we have to make. You know what I mean? Yeah, but yeah, I, I I do I do know what you mean, and I think we're being forced into those choices, and that's what needs to stop. And it's also why. Let me add another layer to this. It's also why we have been losing some elections. If you run a Republican against a Republican, the Republican's going to win. And at some point, Joe Manchin and some of these other folks are renting their seats. I don't think he's going to be able to hold on. Whereas if you had had a true progressive in that position, you might win. And you might win at a larger margin because what's happening is the fed up left, those that are just like, I can't do this lesser evil crap anymore, are not voting. We saw it in 2016 primary. It was a very, very low voter turnout. A lot of progressives stayed home or they just um, voted down ballot. So all of these folks that had come out to support Obama, they weren't there.
they didn't show up to vote. And so the lesson that should be learned, I think, in my opinion, this is strictly my opinion, the lesson that needs to be learned from the DNC, the DCCC, all of these other entities, is that you keep putting your thumb on the scale for a corporatist, and you're going to really start losing more elections. I don't think this trend is going to stop. People are fed up. The left is fed up. They want the party to start listening to them. And I don't think that that's too much of an ask. Agreed. Uh, I just, I don't, I don't really don't know what's going to happen. I think it's, uh, I don't know if there's going to be any sort of a reckoning or whatever, because I think, yeah. I hate to say yeah. it, but, but it's kind of like, I, I just feel like what's probably going to happen in these midterms are, yeah, we're going to get some, we're going to swing some stuff, right? But they're going to be these very moderate sort of uh, Democrats. And, and I think the, the conventional wisdom is going to be like, well, that's better than, the, you know, a Republican. So let's start with that. And that's, and I don't think it's going to go any further than that. Really. Uh, yeah, I think that's, I think that might be the outcome or the, the, <laughs> the worst outcome is that we don't, we seem to be giving up all the margin we had. You know, we be, if yep. you look at the polling for the last few months, the Democrats have had a large lead going into the 2018 midterms. And now last week you had the Axios uh, and Newsweek polls coming out where that margin has literally dissipated. So, I know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, like I, but, but you know what? Take that a step further. So let's say that that comes to pass. Let's say it's, it's you know, marginal victory for Dems in, in mm -hmm. 2018, right? They're, we're not going to learn anything from it. You know, like the powers that be no. are not going to, that's the thing that just makes me nuts. It's like, makes you know, too. Bernie pushed Hillary to the left a little bit and that started to, you know, helped her. Even Cynthia Nixon's pushing Cuomo a little bit to the left. And that's the stuff that really galvanizes people and makes people want to go to yeah. the polls and vote. And, and, but it's like the, the powers that be, for whatever idiotic reason, don't say, okay, you know what? Let's, like, it's just, it makes me nuts. <laughs> I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, it makes me nuts too. You know, another example was recently we had the um, Trump's defense bill for defense spending budget, which is massive. You had Liz Warren and Kamala Harris yep. both both voted. Cory Booker, Cory Booker. Corey, we can go down Don't the list, him. and in fact, yep. there were only four Democrats, four Democrats along with Bernie Sanders that voted against it. What gives? What gives is it's just like this is the kind of stuff that you know about and I know about, and and ninety percent of the average people who calls themselves a Democrat does don't know about it, and they're and if they did know about it, I think they'd probably just be like. You know what? It's uh, Cory Booker is not perfect, but he's better than whoever the hell, you know. So that's <laughs> just, I can't. This is the kind of stuff where it's like these all these things make me bananas. But I just don't mm -hmm. have it in me anymore to try to because I'm not going to change anybody's mind and and that kind of stuff. So I really thought that if I came into this election and talked about this kind of stuff and and I got to I got to frankly sort of. Uh, uh, point this out as well. And it's this. Mm -hmm. I've spoken to some reporters too. For example, I put out a um, press release when I first entered the race about Jessica and all this kind of mm -hmm. stuff and all the, all the, all of the facts supporting my questions about her. Um, and I sent that to 75 reporters, including, you know, Lee Fang at the intercept and stuff like that. And nobody got back to me except, mm -hmm. um, there's one. Rep so so my my point, I guess, is um, I was really surprised. I'm not surprised by by a lot of this stuff. But what I am surprised by 
are these so-called left uh, journalists or pundits or people that are just sort of uh, going along with this or yeah they might just see it as too small of a fish for their bigger pictures sometimes journalists don't want to I hear what you're saying it's it's a beef to have we've sort of lost touch of local media for this reason I know I've tried to pitch stories to some of the outlets that I've written for in the past on local stuff and they, they don't want it they're like it's too small for us that it's makes the sense response to me. I get. that absolutely well, makes sense to me but it's unfortunate because then the stories aren't getting told, which is another reason I started the podcast. <laughs> good, <laughs> like, good. And let me let me tell you a story too um, about, and I want to name a name here, and uh, actually I want to name two names. These are sort of two stories. So, so there's okay. a, a reporter for the Sacramento Bee, right? Sacramento Bee is owned along with the Fresno Bee by McClatchy, as I understand it, right? Yeah. And my yeah. understanding, my sense is that Sac B is a is a little bit more left, and and uh, and um, Fresno B seems pretty hard right. And I think this is kind of a bigger topic, right? So um, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot, and and I hate to sort of give credence to Trump and those people, but it's the, it's fake news is really not an appropriate word for it. Um, and as you pointed out with MSNBC and so on, I think it's almost like um, weaponized news or, or okay. news with an agenda and stuff like that. And, oh, and I, yeah. think, I think the average person probably does not know that these, I certainly didn't know this for a long time and I, I know it now, but, but um, I think, I, I'm not sure if the average person does or doesn't know this, you tell me what you think. But, but okay. I used to think that um, you know the New York Times and the Washington Post and even the Wall Street Journal and like these were like these were serious sacred entities, right? Like this, mm -hmm. if, it, if they wrote this, this is okay. This is what actually happened. And I think in the last five or so years, people have come to understand. Okay, well, the journal is owned by Murdoch and. You know that right. kind of stuff, and the the Times is typically left, and and Bezos, Bezos, whatever owns the uh, Washington Post now, that kind of stuff. So I think people are starting to understand a little bit, but um, but it's really troubling, and it's a bigger, and I, I again I don't want to sort of uh, give ammunition to the to the Trump people who say you know it's fake news and stuff like that, but I think it's I think I've thought about this for a few years now, and I really um I really uh, I, I talked to some lawyers about it and stuff like that, too. I really think this is a court issue. I think that almost in the sense like Scientology. I really here's what I think, Tina. I, you tell me what you think. So I think in the same way that, you know, cigarettes have, you know, a warning label on them. I think that news organizations um, need to have some sort of, you know, really conspicuous disclaimer or you know, we've seen what happens with Fox News, right? And it's what, right. what what it's done and all this kind of, and it's really, these are really important things, I think. Um, they are. Um, yeah, are you familiar with the Fairness Doctrine? Uh, to some degree. I am, yes, I am, as a matter so, of fact. Installment of talk radio, and we're talking about the Fairness Doctrine, right? People are saying, it's not fair. 
That's right. Uh, we're talking about the Fairness Doctrine, and we're not. In 1987, the Federal Communications Commission, the FCC, rescinded something called the Fairness Doctrine. It required broadcast companies to present both sides of a controversial issue. Well, since the Fairness Doctrine went away and was repealed, conservative talk boomed on AM radio, and liberal talk faded. It's unlikely the Fairness Doctrine will return, but there is something else many liberal talkers are fighting for. Localism. Either the right wing's going crazy. Randy Rhodes is a progressive political talker. They're literally at war with a feeling, not a tactic, a feeling. On the air in Washington, D.C., where 93% of voters voted Obama. Yet the majority of political talk on AM radio is conservative. The president is presiding over economic failure. They just don't want to fight. He owned that crowd. If you know that you live in a town where everybody votes Democratic and all you have on your radio is conservative talk, then you can see how localism isn't part of the equation in media programming. So, if you, but if you want to trace, you want to trace the trajectory where news organizations are, are no longer serving a public service. There was a time when they did serve a public service. That was their calling to have journalistic integrity. That's gone. It's all for profit news entertainment now, for the most part, no matter what side of the aisle you're on. This is, this is something separate than fake news. I mean, you know, even the Russia hysteria would be a really good example of how something can, it gets high ratings. We're going to go with it, no matter how damaging that is. I mean, the Russia hysteria has been just as damaging, in my opinion, as some of the stuff that came before it. But you have two things. We we got rid of the fairness doctrine, so that sort of opened the floodgate for people to just spout off one side all they wanted. And the second problem is we've had massive media consolidation. You now have six media companies that pretty much own everything, and that includes your local news stations. And it's not just Sinclair. You can go through the list, Clear Channel, you know, all of these um, supposedly independent local stations aren't independent or local. So, um, yeah. So, so what's the solution the in your mind? What's the solution? The solution. I think we need to bring back the fairness doctrine. I don't think, I don't think that's up for debate. I think it's something that the Congress needs to work on. And now, is the second question, of course, is that a feasible thing to make happen? Tough, especially in oh. this day and age, because I don't think either side wants to give up. Their bot Congress doesn't want to give up. Their oh, Congress don't want to give up. If the fairness doctrine came back, how? What would that look like? In Tomorrow. It would look like this. The news. Every right, every newscaster going forward would have to give both sides of the of the opinion. They would have no choice. I see. Uh, so what? Yeah. So what the fairness doctrine did is that if you're going to spend 20 minutes discussing the liberal side, you have to spend 20 minutes discussing the conservative side. So it sort of reined everybody in to really just focus on the facts. That doesn't happen anymore. And everybody is just out to make a buck. It's news entertainment at this point. And I, I worry, I think this is a valid worry that you're sharing because our news organizations are where we go and we need to be able to trust them. And we're not getting, we're not getting accurate news at this point. Um, and it's harming the general population in, in a large way. That's probably going to have some consequences going forward, uh, not just in politics, but in other things as well. Let me just stop you right there for a second. Uh, so I don't, mm -hmm. I, I don't disagree with you on the, the issue. Um, I disagree with you to some degree on the solution. I think the fairness doctrine, as I understand it, based on what you just said, I, I don't think it would, it would hurt 
certainly. But I don't think that's going to solve the problem. I, I think the problem, the, the way to, to solve this problem is simply this. Um, the Whoever owns these entities, that's really the essence of this issue. I think, I think it has to be because... because well, I think it's both. I think media consolidation is a huge problem. I think they need to be broken up. I think these are monopolies. And the DOG has not done its job. When you have six media companies owning everything in the country, that's bad. Because clearly sure. you're not going to have competition and opinion out there. Sure, but let's play that out. So let's play that out. So let's say that, you know, Fox News, Rupert Murdoch has to sell off stuff, right? And so let's say Fox News is owned by some other entity. And that's all they own is Fox News, right? Would that satisfy mm -hmm. your... Okay, so that, so that's that's um, that would satisfy the anti-monopoly stuff and all. Okay, fine. Um, but who? Let's say the Koch brothers. A bad example, but let's say some really rich. No, Republican. actually, not a bad example. Hang on, but, the Koch brothers give money to Nova, which is a PBS yeah, so, uh, station. Right. Though, so, so it's not a bad example at all. But but my point is just in without putting names on it. Let's just say that some some really. Uh, Let's say it goes public, right? And um, or let's say it's in private hands, and let's say that whoever controls that entity, Fox News, is a is a conservative, or let's say it's a it's a progressive. Um, is is that going to really? It's not going to change the. It's it's really kind of a subtle thing. I don't think it's something that can be sort of legislated that easily. With respect to the fairness doctrine, I mean, they're still going to be pushing out what they want pushed out, and 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 that's kind of my point. I think I think what needs to happen is let me put it this way, real quick. So I got a call from I did get a call from a newsroom reporter not long ago, and I spoke to her at length, and blah, blah, blah. and I was and um and I thought okay, Newsweek, you know, I'm old enough to to remember like and think of Newsweek as wow, like that's cool. It's a national magazine they don't particularly mm -hmm. have the agenda and so on and and they may or may not um but i looked a little deeper recently and it's controlled by and they by the way they don't do they're they're not a big company anymore i think they did like 20 20 million or so in gross revs something like that mm -hmm. recently and um and uh my point is i thought of them just like people i think out there think of the news as the news like this is there's no agenda right. behind it. and whatever you're talking about unless we really change sort of the presentation of these things or call them what they are which is what you said entertainment or don't call them <laughs> news, then yeah, i don't it's think not. it's going to change well i think i think we went reverted back to a time when we had both of those things more media companies and the fairness doctrine it was a much better we were much better off at that point. I don't know if the you know we've come too far down the pike for that to to be a conversation, but it it is out of control. You know, and of course the argument against the media consolidation that these bigger companies make is like, well, no, we have independent media. You have YouTube, you have podcasts, but you know it's not as if we have equal access to an audience that they claim that we have. A and B, what happens if something like net neutrality passes? That would be another nail in the coffin. Are you, is there a C? Because I got a C. I have a C. You said A and B. Is there a C? No, but you have a C? I have a C. 
How about, you know, C, C is, look who owns YouTube, right? And it's Google yeah, or Alphabet no, or whatever. Yeah. And so I terrible. used to think of those. I don't know if you know this, but just recently they just, it used the, the big thing was don't be evil, right? And they just, they removed yeah, that. Yes, they, they removed that. They are evil. In fact, right? my, I had a YouTube channel that was terminated last year and all of this this hoo-ha that went on. So, right. I, so I have nothing so, good to say about YouTube or Google. I think they're good, but my point is they're not great. Like so, and these are the no, same guys terrible. who threw their arms around the Saudi Arabian prince when he walked into there. You know, so it's like, you know, yeah. They're terrible. In terms of your A and B, fine, but like it goes back to the original point, which is every single company has an agenda, whether it's you That's know right. like Greenwald at the Intercept, whose agenda I agree with. Or if it's, right. you know, so that's really the issue. I think we need to, um, and I think it's pretty clear to most people that The Intercept is what it is. And I don't think it's that it's clear enough to people who watch Fox News or CNN or whatever. And, right. and by the way, and there's sort of, there's sort of another point on this whole thing. I got to give credit to, to Fox News and Murdoch and Ailes and all those people. They're 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 doing a good job at their their shit. You know, they're horrible people, but yeah. they're effective. You know, they're they are they're very effective in their garbage. They have right, and it's entertaining, and it's they they're smart about it. Whereas, I've been saying this for years. Like, where is the the left? Like, we don't have any sort of comparable entity. Like, it's not no, CNN. Don't. Yeah, and and it sure MSN hell is MSNBC. Yeah. Right. They're centrists, maybe. And they're not even they're not even, like they're sort of subtle centrists. But mm -hmm. I almost wish and I've been saying this for literally years, like I wish somebody it's not Soros or even Ted Turner or anybody like that. But I wish somebody on the left would be I wish we had a, a left guy like Rupert Murdoch who would just be like, yeah, this is a full on left wing powerful entertaining news entity like why the hell don't we do that you know i'll tell you why because it's against their corporate interests most of the people that have access to that kind of money want to keep feather in their nest which is why we have the division within the democratic party at this point so follow that thought though i would disagree because i would say let's just say let's play it out let's say joe smith who's this multi-billionaire guy on the left progressive guy um Whoever bankrolled the intercept times a hundred or times a thousand starts this news organization um and uh and it's super awesome it's entertaining and it's 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 fox news except it's fully left right um mm -hmm. and so what's gonna happen in a year or two or three? It's going to make a shit ton of money it just is. And that's going to influence the legislators and all that kind of stuff. Don't you think? Or do you disagree with me right there? Yes, I think. No, no, I, I don't disagree with that. I just don't think there's any mutual exclusivity. I just think the folks that would have the money to fund it want to keep control of their corporate media because it serves their corporate agenda. So I think what you're saying is also true. I see. Does that I make see. sense? Yeah, it does. Um, so, yeah. yeah. I think uh, I think it needs to sort of come from I, that's it kind of it's like you know isn't there some super rich hardcore progressive out there is it Tom Steyer I don't think it is I don't know no I don't think it's Tom Steyer because he he's not always on 
I yeah. have to, I'm going to have to do some thinking on that. There should be. Um, there there sure is that guy, the venture capitalist. It is astounding how significantly one idea can shape a society and its policies. Consider this one. If taxes on the rich go up, job creation will go down. This idea is an article of faith for Republicans and seldom challenged by Democrats and has indeed shaped much of the economic landscape. But sometimes the ideas that we are certain are true are dead wrong. Consider that for thousands of years, humans believed that the Earth was the center of the universe. It's not, and an astronomer who still believed that it was would do some pretty terrible astronomy. Likewise, a policymaker who believes that the rich are job creators and therefore should not be taxed will do equally terrible policy. I have started or helped start dozens of companies and initially hired lots of people. But if there was no one around who could afford to buy what we had to sell, all those companies and all those jobs would have evaporated. That's why I can say with confidence that rich people don't create jobs, nor do businesses large or small. Jobs are a consequence of a circle of life-like feedback loop between customers and businesses. And only consumers can set in motion this virtuous cycle of increasing demand and hiring. In this sense, an ordinary consumer is more of a job creator than a capitalist like me. He's been out on the circuit talking about how bad income inequality is and how we should do something about it, um, both from economic and moral stance. Just to be really sort of brutal about it, and as a former Wall Street guy, the bottom line is mm -hmm. forget doing it for the right reasons. It would make a shit ton of money. It really would. Yeah. It's a huge appetite for this kind of stuff. So forget I noble so. causes and for all that kind of stuff. Yeah, like so, and <laughs> well, the, we're all the young you can't forget noble causes. It's like Chuck Schumer, and like these yeah. horrible. It's like no, he's not. He's not good. Like you know, Liz Schumer's Warren horrible. too. All that kind of stuff. Anyway, Chuck sorry, Schumer's just a yeah. Chuck Schumer's not a good person. Um, I want to change uh, trailer. Tra change tracks for a second. I want to talk with you about something that's more central to the area that you live in. Sure. Um, the Kern Water Bank is a name that sounds like a government agency, but it's not. It's really, at the end of the day, a group of private investors, and they've been more or less stealing our water, and it's affecting the district you're in probably more severely than others. Um, the culprits are Paramount Farms, um, who owns Palm Wonderful. They have a lot of almond farm, um, almonds that they grow that are, um, and if people don't know anything about almonds, almonds don't belong gro being grown in a desert. They are they need a lot of water to grow, and the mid-area of Bakersfield, Fresno, where they're growing these almonds, is, um, is it's a desert area. God's gonna trouble the water. Water and Power at California Heights is a feature-length documentary about the politics of water in California. California officials are putting mandatory restrictions on water use in place. Water has become gold in the midst of this drought. Agriculture has recorded record crops. So the question becomes, how have they managed to do that? The California Aqueduct was set up by Governor Pat Brown, Jerry Brown's father. A river 700 miles long, the largest project ever undertaken by an American state. 
we have an artificial river running through this desert state. Yeah, there are so many different layers in this world of water. There are a lot of manipulations behind the scenes that we know nothing about. And our film focuses on a series of meetings where a water bank ended up getting out of the hands of the state of California and into the hands of some private individuals. There was nothing illegal about what they did because most of what they do is legal because they write the rules. It's an expose of greed, basically. So I hope people will just kind of say, wow, this is happening, and we need to band together and try to fix this. Before you jump off of that, I think that that company you just referred to, they grow, I think, 90% of the world's almonds. Yes, yes. And or at least that area. They're literally... So the water that they're taking from the water table beneath is coming from your district because they're sucking it out like a straw. But, but the problem is, is now you've got areas of like Tulare, for example, where they don't have any water whatsoever. They literally have to have water trucks bring them water because if they turn their taps on, no water comes out. In the meantime, you have a very wealthy guy, Resnick, who was one of, uh, one of the members of this group through the Westside Mutual Water Company who has just been taking the water for free, more or less, and controlling um, its use. So you mentioned on your website that you will fight to overturn the Monterey Amendment. Walk, walk us through that, because I think this is a really important issue. But in 1994, coming through a prolonged drought and facing the prospect of severe restrictions on Delta water, the biggest of the water contractors met in Monterey to craft a deal that would get them out of their predicament. The meeting participants were the big boys of water delivery, the Metropolitan Water District of Southern California, and the Kern County Water Agency, which together control about 75% of state water project allocations, and representatives of Paramount Farming, a private corporation owned by Stuart Resnick. Sure. So um, on my website, I sort of, uh, I, I talk about, here's what happened. I saw that movie that you're talking about, Water, water oh, Power. Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's just like, it gutted me. I called <laughs> Begley. Bad. So, yeah. So, um, so that movie, as I say on my website, every single Californian should see that movie. It's called Water and Power, A California Heist. It is stunning. I had no idea about any of this stuff. Um, yeah. and Essentially, what happened is, as you sort of described it, so there's this, it's, you know what, here's the short version. Do yourselves a favor. Just watch this movie. If you live in California, watch this movie. You know, it's, yeah. it'll just tell you what happened. And essentially, what happened is exactly what you described in that, I think it was in 1994, um, this sort of emissary, as I understand it, for um, the Resnicks. Uh, just mm -hmm. changed changed everything, changed the laws, and and privatized essentially our water, all of California's water. Right, bizarre. And it started. Yeah, it started with a negotiation on the water bond. Um, so it this is so this is a really good example of of regulatory capture in some respects, and how private uh, companies can buy politicians and get what they want because it this started as an attachment to the water bond that we. We're passing and that had the best of intentions, 
But nobody was monitoring this group that was doing this thing, the Kern Water Bank, and it was very corrupt. And uh, this morning, state water managers could be facing legal trouble for not considering the environmental impact of running a local water bank. A California judge ruled the Department of Water Resources didn't look at the ecological effects of running the Kern Water Bank when it was privatized in 1997. Since then, the bank has faced a number of lawsuits, including one by environmentalists claiming it was damaging the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta and another looking to put the bank back under state control. State and water bank officials must now meet with the judge to figure out how his ruling will affect the way the bank is run. As I understand it, there is an ongoing, I do not think it's been settled, there is an ongoing court action uh, that's been yeah, winding is. its way through the effort yeah, for years and years now. And um, and the short version is, I, even if even if that thing had been decided, I would say the following. Absolutely, yes. Because of this, anybody who lives in this state, if they are if they understand what's happened, they'll it'll change. That's I it. I mean, it's so bizarre. Yeah, of course it has to. It just doesn't make any sense to anybody. Wow. And and this is stuff that yeah, it's 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 appalling. And um and it's basically appalling. this it's really it, appalling. It is. Oh it's my really god, it's infuriating, <laughs> beyond appalling. It's 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 maddening. So, but but yeah, it's um and those guys, what's his face, the uh, the Resnicks, they're not stupid. They donate to no. Democrats as well as Republicans. They oh my God, yes, I believe they yeah. are Democrats. I don't. So here's another example of where you know we live in a predominantly Democrat state, but let's not all pretend that all the Democrats are these great people. This is the thing that gets me about this idea of vote blue no matter who. No, no, sure. and no for a third time. I am not going to vote blue no matter who. These are. I don't have any affinity or treaty with folks that do this sort of thing. They're not my people. I don't care if they're a registered Democrat. They are not my people. Agreed. I don't know. Right? I don't know what to say about this, Tina. I just like, yeah, you know, I, because like, you know, I can yell till I'm blue in the face about blue, no pun intended, about uh, <laughs> Nancy Pelosi. Right. And And this and it's mm -hmm. like. It's just, it's bizarre. Did you see what happened in Chicago with Dan Lipinski and that kind of stuff? You know about this? This is our Democratic Congressman Dan Lipinski. Dan opposed same-sex marriage. Dan opposed extending background checks to all gun sales. Dan voted to defund Planned Parenthood and voted 52 times to outlaw abortion, even in cases of rape and incest. Who is Dan working for? It sure isn't us. Let's dump Dan. Mayral Pro-Choice America is responsible for the content of this ad. A conservative, um, uh, anti, uh, sorry, anti-abortion, um, anti-Obamacare Democrat. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And the, Democrat. the party got behind them against the progressive that was endorsed by our revolution. Yeah, I did. I'm Correct. sorry. I was facing out. Yeah, that's. Pelosi put her arms around this guy. So that's what I mean. Like we're fighting amongst ourselves on the left, and that we are. I, we are. I don't because, know. I mean, the problem. The, the bottom line is all these folks care about is their corporate interests and their donors. They will. They will let all the other stuff slip aside, and it's it's unfortunate. It makes them sleazy to me. Um, 
and they're not my people. They're not. They're, these are folks I have no treaty with, and we have. We are not fit to fight on the left. If this is what we're defending, we're not fit to fight. We're hypocrites, you know. So I can't do that. Like that doesn't surprise me anymore. That Nancy Pelosi's beholden to to the money or Feinstein or whatever. Mm-hmm. What bothers me and surprises me still is the 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 voters, the people, the the people who are like, I love you know, I'm a liberal and yeah, and, they just yeah. don't know. That's we it. have to we have to keep telling folks about this stuff because they they don't know about the current water bank. But they we don't come off like about... nuts. But we come yeah, off like crazy fringe. Like I don't want to hear it myself if I talk to some hardcore. I'm just like <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's like okay, I get it. Just you know what I mean. I don't know. So I don't... Um, I, I want to talk about Regina Bateson for a moment. She oh. is another person that's in your race. Uh, my understanding is that she has also moved back to the district to run in this race. So, again, we see another carpetbagger. I don't understand what's going on here. Um, why aren't constituents in your in your district not upset about this? Why are they voting for folks that are moving back to the district to run that aren't part of the community? Because I find this to be a little bit appalling. I think... Um I think it sort of let me think about that for a second. So like you could make the same uh case against Jessica Morris, right? And Exactly, all three of them. Yeah. Well, not not um oh, you mean McClintock too. Yeah. So just on the Democratic yeah, side. Absolutely. Without a doubt. I think what's probably happening is I, my sense frankly on what's the answer to that is is um People have chosen sides on forget McClintock, right? The only question is who's going to be against him. So on the Democratic side, um, there are basically two camps. There's the Jessica camp and there's the Regina camp. Um, both of them are moderates and both of them are arguably carpetbaggers, right? And I think the 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 answer to your question is it goes back to to somebody it goes back to this. People are saying, you know what? Fine, I can live with that as long as it's not Tom. You know, um, mm-hmm. they're on on paper they're both carpetbaggers. They both are imperfect or whatever. Um, so, but let's all band together and get behind you know my favorite candidate because really the, the opponent is Tom. It's not you know mm-hmm. Jessica or Regina that kind of stuff. So I think it's I think I don't think people care that much, frankly, okay. about stuff like that. And they should, of course. They and, should and care. I think it. How are you? How are you to stay in touch with your district, with your constituency, if you don't live there, if you're not from there? I just this is something that not it's not solely happening in your district. It's happening in many others, and I'm I see it happening a lot, and I just don't think it's a good precedent to be setting. I just don't. Great, sure. You yeah. know, the thing that I found interesting was in 2016, before the primary. Certainly before the general, but maybe before the primary, I would drive around in my area and I'd see bumper stickers that said anybody but Hillary, right? And people in this mm-hmm. area, they're not there. There are no shortage of Trump supporters, but there are people who just hated Hillary and yeah. people who hate Nancy Pelosi and stuff yeah. like that. And and that's kind of the interesting thing because no party preference. Um, when party preference doesn't matter in, in the primary or the general, um, that's a significant uh, percentage of the electorate here. And um, 
And there are these two candidates, the two sort of Democratic frontrunners, Jessica and uh, Regina. They're both basically, you know, Nancy Pelosi, you know, moderate uh, Hillary style mm-hmm. Democrats. And it's really right. dumb because there's I think it's 21 percent of people have no party preference. And you're right. going to lose all those because they don't they're not big fans of Trump, but they hate Pelosi and Hillary, too. Mm-hmm. You know, so right. I don't know. That's weird. I'd say it's probably higher than 20% at this point. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, you were endorsed by Ed Bagley Jr., who is not only a great actor, but he's also an environmentalist. Does he live in your district? No, no. He's just a friend and a colleague and stuff like that. So, okay. yeah, he, um, he's, uh, he's sort of my go-to guy. About um, In fact, I called him after I saw that Water and Power movie, and I was like, did you know about this and these people? And, and like, you know. Yeah, so uh, he's short answer is no, he doesn't. But um, by the way, speaking of that kind of stuff, I think something else that we can do. Again, I didn't know any of this until I saw that movie. And the next day, yeah. I was in the grocery store, and I was like, I'm never buying Pommy Wonderful again. Or like, so people can okay. actually make a difference. And I think they own FTD too, and they own some other stuff. Mm-hmm. So like, that's you can vote with your pocketbooks, and you can you know, Absolutely. I don't buy almond milk anymore and stuff like that like these mm-hmm. you know anyway sorry i switched to coconut milk no you're right i switched to coconut milk after i saw this documentary <laughs> i do not buy any more almond milk or uh palm anything yeah and by the way no we we're the capitalist economy we need to vote with our with our wallets it's one way no, we could force change no question and, and another really sort of important point is to me it shows me the power of something as simple as a 90 minute movie it completely changed my thinking about so many important things, not just the least of which is what I do at the grocery store. But I didn't know anything about these Monterey amendments. until It's, it's really powerful yeah. stuff. And it's very palatable, yeah. too. Like, So we're talking about this very inside baseball kind of stuff. And most people don't give a shit about that. Or it does, it's not interesting. I don't want to hear it, especially mm-hmm. with what's going on in the world. Like, I, you know, I just want to I want to kind of be entertained and whatever it is. So you can you can sort of push through information um, with really entertaining um, delivery systems like a like a document. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Or your podcast. I wanted to talk about. Yeah, I wanted to talk about uh, gun violence for a moment. McClintock votes with the NRA 93 percent of the time, which is like, wow, 93 percent. Um, I know that you support um, bringing back the assault weapon ban. What are some of your other positions on uh, gun control? I, it's pretty straightforward. In fact, I don't even think the assault weapons ban goes far enough. Um, as I say on, on my website, Lawton for Congress, um, I think we need much more comprehensive gun control measures, similar to what was done in Australia in 1996 after their last mass shooting Mm -hmm. um, and that we need to have basically we need to ban full out ban. If you are legal, you cannot be legally in possession of a semi-automatic long gun after a certain date. If I have my way, unless you're active duty military or law enforcement, meaning it's illegal. Like, you know, people in this district in particular, like, don't take my guns. I'm taking your guns. We need to take your guns. and I think we need to have a, you know, a buyback thing and and then a grace period and then a, you know, a period obviously where people can turn them in and then periodically do it again every so often, you know, turn in your guns. We'll give you 
a fair market value for them, and we need to we need to get rid of them. Um, and people say oh, that's the number one issue in this district. Um, and people okay. talk to me about the Second Amendment. The Second Amendment, as I said in in a video I made, um, and as I've said repeatedly on the campaign trail, the Second Amendment was written before bicycles had been invented. Think about that for a yeah, second. That's true. The authors of the Second Amendment couldn't envision two wheels with a seat on top of it, much less an AR-15, okay? That's number one. Number two, the Second Amendment was authored by men who owned other men, okay? Yep. So what's There's my that. point? My point is times change, okay? Little Timmy's right to not duck under his desk every time the door opens in his math class supersedes your right to target shoot with an AR-15. That's how I feel mm -hmm. about it. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And, you know, um, it was interesting recently when we had um, ex-SCOTUS judge come out and discuss overturning the Second Amendment. Um, but I thought he made a really interesting argument in the sense that he talked about the Heller decision as being a turning point. Previous to the Heller decision, gun ownership wasn't viewed as necessarily an individual right the way it is now in this day and age. And that was a big game changer. The last area that, that I want to ask you about is what this country should do about guns. You would change the wording of the Second Amendment to the Constitution to say the right of people to bear arms to own a gun should apply only when serving in the militia. Is it your ultimate hope that there would be no right to own a gun for self-defense? Well, it would be my ultimate hope that legislatures would decide the issues and not be hampered by constitutional restriction because clearly legislators are in a much better position than judges are to decide what should be permissible in different contexts. And the effect of the Second Amendment as it's now construed is to make federal judges the final arbiters of gun policy, which is quite, quite wrong, I think, and quite contrary to what uh, uh, the framers intended when, when they drafted the Second Amendment to protect states from the danger that a strong federal uh, uh, armed force would able, be able to uh, deprive the states of their own militias. Um, we've definitely got into a place where it's absolutely out of control, and I honestly don't see how anybody even on the right can defend the continued violence that we're experiencing in the country. Of course. And in addition to the, in, in addition to the school shootings that we see, uh, you know, now every week lately, we, there's so much other gun violence that's occurring out there. So um, it's clearly an American problem. Uh, of and course. it's something we need to do. We need to do something about it. I think that, by the way, before we get off of this, two things. You know, the, most people support some sort of reasonable gun measures, expanded background checks, and so on, number one. Number two, I really mm -hmm. think this is a. This is a Citizens United issue, frankly. Um, Absolutely, in a way. Yeah, because the NRA gives money to these politicians. You get money out of politics, it's going to change. It's going to be a lot easier to change these gun mm -hmm. laws. I concur on that. Money in politics is the root of all evil. Much of it. So I wanted to ask you about. You made a film in 2006 called Sex and Sushi. Yes, <laughs> oh, I love the name of that, <laughs> in which you also acted in. You were the lead actor. 
Um, is that a one-off thing for you as an actor, or have you done other acting? Uh, From one I, acting to another. So <laughs> yeah, I've I've done some acting and stuff like that, and I I do I yeah writing and directing and I yeah that kind of stuff. So yeah, I like to do I like to do um I like to screw around and do stuff. Sure, yeah. So are there any other films in the work for the future or maybe a documentary on some of um, political items that we're looking oh, at? Oh, God. Yeah. I, I don't think – yeah. it's It's been a very illuminating experience, um, this endeavor uh, that I have embarked upon. <laughs> and um, Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I may, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something about it. I don't know if it's gonna be a, I don't know what it's gonna be, but yeah. But, um, well, it'd be yeah. great for you to be able to combine the, the, the two things together, your politics and, and your film career, you know? For sure. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's interesting. But again, like, it's, it's tricky because personally, when I'm watching TV or putting a movie on or whatever, I don't want to watch this stuff. I don't watch the news very much. It's like, I don't know. I don't watch I'm, the news. It's like, I got to not, you know, in, these, in this day and age, I don't, I'm sure I'm not alone. Like, I have a very low threshold uh, and small appetite for serious stuff. Like, the, I can't even, it's just, it's, no. I don't too much? It's too <laughs> I'm much. I'm kind of addicted to, um, I like to watch all the documentaries on Netflix. Some of them aren't very good, but there's a lot of great documentaries on there. So sometimes I'll scroll through there and just start binge watching some of the um, documentaries. Um, sure. That's where I found, I think, the original Nat Geo one about the Kern Water Bank, which, yeah, it, we, I recommend everybody see this. It's, it's a very eye-opening, very eye-opening and depressing thing to see. And, you know, if you, you know this is happening in California. It's happening in other states. This is not something that is um, isolated to, to us. Oh, I'm sure, yeah, yeah. By the way, don't say depressing, Tina, because nobody's going to watch it. So yes. it's 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 illuminating. How about that? It's yeah. illuminating. It it's will make galvanizing. It's galvanizing. It will make you want to get a pitchfork, pull out your guillotine, and go full French Revolution. Or if you're like me, <laughs> or perhaps not like me, but but if nothing else, even if it just changes what you do at the grocery store, seriously, like that's yeah. enough. Really, that's like true. that's that's, enough. that's a win. 